In the name of our Lord, our Savior, who will set a banquet before you in the presence of your enemies. Dear brothers and sisters of the Lord, the sermon text we're going to meditate on today is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We'll reread those verses now. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. There are some sinister bad guys in popular fiction, if you look around, right? Put a few of them on the screen. Whether you're thinking of Darth Vader from Star Wars or Sauron from the Lord of the Rings or even the Wicked Witch of the West from, from the Wizard of Oz, these are bad guys who set out to destroy and hurt the good guys. And the reason that so often in good stories, in good fiction, there's bad guys is because in real life, there's bad guys. In real life, whether it's huge genocidal governments or even just somebody who's rude to you, or if it's something that's not human, like an illness or a sickness or hard times that come on you, there's bad things, bad guys in real life. So when, so when I watch Star Wars, I know what it's like to feel scared. I know what it's like to be intimidated and to be sad. So when I, when I see Star Wars, I can relate to the characters who are scared of Darth Vader. The Bible doesn't shy away from talking about the bad guys in real life. And the Bible adds one more bad guy for us to worry about, an invisible one, the devil. The devil who, who wants to make you forget about God, who wants to make you think God doesn't love you, and he wants you to go to hell forever. He's been a murderer since the beginning. He's hell-bent on destruction. Here's what the Bible says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. We got bad guys in the world. We got our enemy, the devil, who all remind us of the bad guys from, from movies, and yet, have you noticed this recent trend in, in fiction? I'm talking about how lately the bad guys have become the main character. A couple of other examples, you could think of more than this, but Walter White in Breaking Bad is the bad guy and he's the main character. Tony Soprano or the Wicked Witch of the West in the hit musical from Broadway, Wicked. She's the main character, even though... She's wicked. It seems that the best storytellers in the world have found out that maybe the people sitting in the seats have more in common with bad guys than we thought. You watch one of these movies, you start to empathize, you start to get to know the, the bad guys, and you, you kind of like them, but you have to reckon with the bad stuff they do. Have you diagnosed that in your own heart? That, that you understand what's going on in your life and you're trying to do the best you can, but you have to reckon with the bad stuff that, that you do because the Bible recognizes that in all of us. 
This is what St. Paul wrote in Romans chapter seven. The Holy Spirit gave them these words. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. There lives in you a, a good and pure and holy person who loves God and wants nothing but to serve and praise him. But that good person in you is constantly sabotaged by evil, by a wicked, evil enemy of God who also lives in you. It turns out, your worst enemy lives in your own heart, and mine does in, in me. The Bible calls it our sinful nature. When you look around at all the enemies we have, at the bad guys in the world, and the devil, and our own sinful natures, you might think that St. Paul is out of his mind when he wrote Philippians looking at all these bad guys, and here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Sounds crazy. Really, St. Paul? Rejoice? If you had my life, if you knew what was happening in our country, Paul, if you saw the things I'm up against, and if you knew my sins that live in my heart, then you wouldn't say rejoice. And then you remember when St. Paul wrote these words? It's when he was in prison. So as he's moving his hand to write R-E-J, rejoice, he can hear his chains rattling. It wasn't the first time he'd been in prison. He had been imprisoned for talking about Jesus more than once. He was beaten, left for dead in the street because he talked about Jesus. He was starved because he talked about Jesus. St. Paul knew a thing or two about enemies, and his biggest enemy was the anti-Christian culture that he lived in, the anti-Christian government that he was up against. The, the Roman government wasn't anti-Christian by taking away his freedom of speech, and they weren't anti-Christian by setting fire to his Christmas tree. The Roman government was anti-Christian by setting fire to Christians, lighting them on fire in the street. Paul knew a thing or two about enemies, and he had the old sinful nature in him. I don't know what sin keeps you up at night, what thing your sinful nature did that haunts you, but I know what it was for Paul. It was murder. Before he was a Christian, he murdered Christian missionaries. And then when he became a Christian missionary, he had to live with that memory. When Paul says rejoice, it's not because he doesn't know about the enemies we're facing. In fact, he knows it's hard for you to believe that we should rejoice. So he says, I'll say it twice, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Paul can rejoice even when he's facing down enemies because he knows the secret. He knows the secret that allows him to give glory to God and have joy in his soul to rejoice no matter what he's facing. Here's, here's the secret to rejoicing always. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. And, and this is what we've been talking about for the whole service. When the Lord comes near, he humbles his enemies. When the Lord comes near, he humbles his enemies. And so when Jesus comes near, I'm talking about when he comes on the last day, glory and 
angels and trumpets, and when he descends from the skies, he will gather up all his people and take us to heaven, but all his enemies he will humble. Every anti-Christian person who's ever lived will be forced to bend their knee and bow their head and give honor to the Christ they hate. When the Lord comes near, he humbles his enemies. And when Jesus came as a baby, it wasn't as glorious, but when he came as a baby in Bethlehem, he humbled his enemies there too. When he came that way, he was on a mission. The Bible says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The devil is God's enemy and yours. He wants to work to, to get you to sin so that you're guilty before God. And, and Jesus destroyed that work when he took responsibility for all of your sins. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was destroying the devil's power by destroying your sin. And the devil sometimes works to guilt trip you, right? After you've sinned, he wants you to obsess over it and go over and over and over again till you think God can't love you. And Jesus destroyed that work by saying, no, 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 I'm guilty, says Jesus. You're innocent. You win. The devil is a loser. When Jesus came on earth, when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead to guarantee your forgiveness, he destroyed the work. When Jesus comes, he destroys, he humbles his enemies. And when Jesus comes to you in your daily life, when he comes to you as you hear his word, he humbles the enemy that lives inside of you. That, that wicked part of you that does not love God, that hates God and does what is evil, that's, that's the enemy Jesus humbles when he comes to you through his word. That, that Bible passage that started out, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. This is how the paragraph ends. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When Jesus comes near to you through his word, he humbles your enemy, even if your enemy lives inside of you. So, how near is he? Is the Lord near? Did you catch how the Apostle Paul answered that question for us already in verse 4? Is the Lord near to us? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. How near is the Lord? He's so near that you are in him. You are inside of the Lord. I, I sometimes call this Carhartt jacket Jesus. I have a ginormous Carhartt jacket. It is like three sizes too big for me. And it's a perfect jacket for weekends like this, where there's a winter storm warning, and the snow is blowing sideways, and the, and the wind is coming, and, and the, my feet are all wet and stuff, because when I'm out there shoveling, even no matter how cold it is out there, in here is cozy. Now imagine, I'm out there shoveling like I was yesterday morning, and my child, my son, is laying in the snowbank in his onesie. What am I going to do? Get in here. Scoop him up, put him in, and zip it up to his head, right? And I will keep him warm until we get a chance to make it safely inside. This is what the Lord has done for you. He knows that in this world, it can be bitter cold. But when you were baptized, he said, get in here. Get in Christ. And it will still be bitter cold in the world, and the devil will still blow his howling accusations, and, and it will still be a mess out there, but you are in. 
You're in where there is forgiveness for every bit of guilt you have, where there is love that never ends. You are inside of the endless love of Christ. How near is the Lord to you? He's all around you, and you're in him. And so Paul says, rejoice about that. Rejoice in the Lord always, because you're in. If you are, in fact, in the endless love of Jesus, there are at least three practical ways that that changes your life, Paul says. First of all, it allows you to be gentle. Second, it allows you to be free from anxiety. And third, it it allows you to be at peace. First, verse five, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Gentleness is is what you can be because you're in Christ. When the Lord comes near, he humbles his enemies so you don't have to humble his enemies. You can be gentle. Caesar Augustus is, or I'm sorry, not Caesar Augustus, Julius Caesar is a great example of this. Julius Caesar, the Romans built a temple to him in honor of his gentleness. Here's the story. They were fighting a civil war. Caesar was in charge of one part of it. He won his part. And all the traitors who fought against him, who were rebels, he chose not to punish them. He chose instead to give them positions in his government and give them land. And so they built a temple in honor of his gentleness with them. He was so confident in his ability to rule that he said, I don't need to squash the people who oppose me. And You don't have to squash the people who oppose you either. You can be so confident in the Lord's rule that he will humble his enemies in his way at his time that you don't need to squash people who oppose you on on, on Facebook or in your family if there's bickering or at church if somebody drives you nuts. You can be gentle and the Lord will humble his own enemies. The second thing that it allows you to do is is to be not anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He doesn't just say, don't be anxious, and leaves it there. He gives you the alternative. Instead of being anxious, present your requests to God. There's a lot of things you could be anxious about, but let's just take a silly example, like a little kid who goes to school, he's got to face the bully. A big, mean, bad guy, like from a movie, right? And he's got to face down this bad guy. He may be wringing his hands, nervous about what's going to happen at school, unless he went to school with these guys. That's an old school, one of the original SEAL teams from the U.S. Navy. If you showed up at school to face the bully with a whole squadron of U.S. Navy SEALs behind you, would you be wringing your hands? What's going to happen? What am I going to do? No you would just turn around and say, help. This is what the Lord has told us we do. There are many big, bad, scary enemies that are too big for us to handle. And so God says, instead of wringing your hands, don't be anxious. Just turn to him and say, help. The Lord humbles his enemies, and so we don't need to be anxious. And the last one is that we can be at peace. You hear this at the end of most sermons. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
That word guard, that word guard there, it means literally security guard. Like imagine a six foot four, 260 pound bouncer who checks IDs at the entrance to your heart. Can you picture this guy? He's miniature version sitting on top of your chest. And when some wicked thing from the world tries to get in and stir up anxiety in your heart, the peace of God says, no, no. This heart belongs to the Lord who will humble all his enemies. You're not welcome here. And when Satan tries to slither his little snake body into your heart and accuse you again of some wicked thing that you have done, the peace of God says, no. This heart is forgiven in Christ. This heart lives in the endless love of Jesus. You're not welcome here. And if that enemy that lives inside your heart should should produce something from inside out, so he's not trying to get in past the bouncer, but if there should be some memory of an ancient sin that bothers you at night or some, some wicked thought you have about God, then this bouncer, the peace of God, goes and grabs this wicked thought by the scruff of his neck, dunks him in the blood of Jesus, and throws him out the door. Because this heart belongs to Jesus. The peace of God will guard, like a security guard, your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, the peace of God guards our hearts against all kinds of bad guys. And all our enemies, whether they be in the world or in our hearts or even the ones we see in movies, they can be scary. But we don't love good stories because of the bad guys, do we? J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote uh, um, The Lord of the Rings and Sauron, he he has a theory. He wrote this other little paper called On Fairy Stories, and it's about why people love fictional stories. And he's got a theory in there. He says, every good story tells us the good news of Jesus in a secret way. Every good story tells us the good news of Jesus in a secret way. Because in, in a good story, there's a big bad guy. And in the middle of the story, it seems hopeless. And then at the end, if it's a good story you get caught off guard when the twist comes and by some unexpected thing, good beats evil. Every story you've ever heard that that made you feel like that, it was imitating God's story where there is some big, bad enemies. And in the middle of the story, it can seem hopeless. And if it seems a little bit hopeless in your story right now, that means we're getting close to the end where there's gonna be some unexpected twist and God beats evil. That's what God always does. He comes near and he humbles his enemies so that we can be at peace. Come quickly, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for spending some time with us and worshiping with us online today. We are so glad you fed your faith through the work of Mount Olive, and we'd love to know that you fed your faith. So head on over to mountoliveappleton.com and click the online friendship register, or just click the link in the description here. It takes about one minute to fill out. Thanks so much for spending time with us. God's blessings on your day.